This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We've been in a series on these Sunday evenings looking at things that can overwhelm us, bring fear to our hearts, frankly discourage us, even cause us to pull back from accomplishing the will of God in our lives. Those things can be addictions. It can be unbiblical fear. It can be a misuse of time. But tonight we want to look at what I think is the worst of the noisemakers in our heart, and that is guilt. Now, I have the benefit when we have these services, I know what God's laid on my heart, what's been prepared to preach. But it thrills me when I hear this music that reflects on the fact that Jesus Christ came and through his sacrifice, and the choir reminded us, Christ alone. Through his sacrifice, you and I have been forgiven of our sin. There is no condemnation now to them that are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what your past is. When you admitted to God you were a sinner and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he washed you clean. There's no condemnation. Your sin is buried in the deepest sea. And if you ever tried to find it, God says it's as far as the east is from the west. And so you and I can grip God and overcome guilt. And so have your hand out close by. You're going to fill in some blanks tonight. But I, I hope, I pray that this will be an encouragement to you once again God used it to encourage me. This is a difficult time. I mentioned that this morning. And there are other things in our lives that can happen to bring guilt flooding back. The accusations of others. Sometimes just looking into the lives of your own children. Things come back. Well, I wish I had an opportunity to do that different. Do that over again. And, and, and guilt can defeat us and discourage us. But it doesn't need to. We can grip God and let go of that. So look at the introduction. The loudest noisemaker in the human heart is guilt. Think about what David said in Psalm 38. And I'm going to just, uh, you've got it in your handout. But we're going to move quickly through these verses. Thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presses me sore. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. Have you ever felt like guilt is just overwhelming you? As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. He's saying there is no quiet in my heart. And by the way, when the noise of guilt sweeps in, pushes peace out, and it can be, listen, it can be deafening, even if you're a Christian. But we need to understand what's happening when that's happening, okay? And here you go. God created the conscience to function as an alarm system. 
as an alarm system. Do you know, and this is not going to shock you, but they make alarm systems to annoy you, <laughs> to get your attention. When I pastored in Pennsylvania, we had a, a master electrician in the church, and he came to me and wanted to upgrade. He specialized in alarm systems. Great. Good. And he installed one. But this alarm system, I defined the way it sounded, sounded like bionic crickets. And when it would go off, it was just deafening. You just wanted to get out to avoid the sound. Okay? That's what the conscience is. When the intruder of sin threatens our fellowship with God, the noisy alarm of guilt is intended to motivate us to search for the culprit and arrest him by confessing and forsaking the sin. Or we could use the picture of a fire. The alarm goes off. There's a fire in the house. You want to find the fire and you want to put it out. Well, what will do that? Confessing and forsaking sin. Now, we don't want to just have you take my word or someone else's word on this. Let's go to the scripture and let's see what the Bible teaches. Go to Proverbs. And notice chapter 20. And verse 27, Proverbs 20 and verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. What's that talking about? The belly in scripture is a reference to your innermost, deepest being, where your feelings are at. Okay? And that's why sometimes something can happen and where you feel sick to your stomach because of what you've witnessed or what has happened, okay? That is the spirit of man. God made, him in his, and we, God made us in his image, and that's the candle of the Lord. That's what the scripture says. Look at the next text, Romans chapter 2 and verse 15. Romans 2 and verse 15. The earlier verses here talk about the fact that one of the witnesses that God has given us is his law written in our hearts, basic law. Made in God's image, so man inside does know basically what's right and wrong. Now, because of the fall, that's, that can be twisted uh, and so on. But here's what the Lord says about that inner voice of conscience, that witness which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. See, the conscience can accuse, but it can also excuse. Right? It can give you freedom because whatever you're thinking about, you have a scriptural basis for what you're doing, and it can, it can give you some relief. Okay? Especially when others are accusing and you're feeling guilt from that. All right. And then 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We will visit that verse again, but I will tell you as a believer, and I, I'm sure as Christians you have experienced this too. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 John 1 9. 
because I can feel the weight of sin and guilt on me. And when I go to the Lord and I confess it, I say the same thing with a heart to turn from it. It is amazing. We don't live by feelings. We live by faith. But I'll tell you, I can feel the load lifted. And so, the conscience and guilt. Hopefully that will help you better understand uh, what God has built into us. However, specific enemies have been working hard to disable the alarm system so that sin can ransack your house. And we need to take some time, so you not only understand how this system works, but you need to understand the enemies of conscience. Those things that Satan wants to use where you dismiss, downplay that guilt in your heart. So let's think about some enemies of conscience. First of all, Satan himself. Satan himself. I'd like you to go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 1 and 2 are wonderful. You see the power of God and he's working and the man, the man and the woman are in perfect harmony in a perfect garden. Oh, wow. And then you get to chapter 3 and everything comes apart. Because of a fallen angel who I think does understand guilt. Of course, he's experienced himself because of his rebellion against God. But he does understand how it works in the, the life of a man or a woman, we're made in God's image. And so he is determined to mess that up in our minds so that guilt doesn't have its intended effect. So in chapter 3 we see this in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Next to subtle, you deceitful, slithering, okay? Uh, did, did I just see a snake or didn't I? Okay, that the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So he questions what God has said. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of, the, uh, of it, the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now there's a lot of discussion about verse 3. Because God said, Don't eat of it. Eve added something. Remember, she's still in an innocent state here. And I wonder already if conscious was at work. Do you know if God says don't eat it, just don't even touch it. In fact, you don't even have to go by there. And so I wonder if what had been communicated to Adam, he had communicated to his wife with that caveat. See that tree? We shouldn't eat it. Let's not touch it. By the way, young people, if your parents out of concern for you not to touch, not, not to do things that God forbids in his word, if they act like they're serious and, and it seems like they're a little overbearing on something, you know, that's what love does. It just, it just does. Be careful. But anyway, so she responds to say, look at what he says in verse 4. The serpent said unto the woman, 
he shall not surely die. You know, you've got a conscience about that thing? Don't worry about it. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, up to this point, you have a right conscience that does not know evil, that is guarding against what God has forbidden. You move into the next verse, and you're going to see the alarm go off based on what we understand from Scripture. So, Satan himself, the devil delights to get us to ignore guilt. He sought to diminish the warnings of conscience, but he could not stop the alarm of guilt. Verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God's there for fellowship. Where are Adam and Eve? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now understand, there is no real threat in that garden besides this snake. He wasn't there to bite them. So there still is not anything chasing them in the garden. There's nothing out to get them. And yet they're hiding. Why? Because the alarm has gone off, and for the first time in their existence, they don't know what to do with that alarm. Turn over to Proverbs 28 and verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. When the alarm's not going off, and you know, based on conscience, that you're right with your Lord, you can press on to do His will. But guilt will rob you of that boldness. So Satan himself... Even other choices, or voices, I'm sorry, even other voices that question what God has said cannot stop the alarm. So, this is the word of God. It's the way life functions. This is the way life works. And we're going to say more about this a little bit later, but you can start questioning what you read in your Bible. I don't like that. I don't agree with that. You can get on the internet and you can find somebody who agrees with you. And your discernment can just evaporate. You can believe them. You can hope that they can take the guilt away from what you want to believe that goes against the word of God. That you know in your core isn't right. And guess what? When you proceed to do that sin, go against what scripture says, here's the proof. You may agree with them, but they can't stop you feeling the guilt. Say, that's not fair. How, how come it works that way? Because the God in heaven who loves you 
If you're a Christian, His Spirit is in your heart and He's going to set that alarm off. He is not going to let your house catch fire without warning you that there's a problem. So, Satan himself. And of course, Satan, as we move on to the next point, Satan influences others as, as they try to downplay the scriptures, as they try to go against uh, what we know in this country as, a, as we were once a Christian nation, the, the societal norms that were based on God's word, the Judeo-Christian values that, that we know made us great and that are, are being unraveled and torn apart. Satan wants to influence people to say, uh, no, 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 no. You, you need to rethink this whole thing about conscience and guilt. And so there are, let her be, strategies that diminish guilt. And I give you three of them. Psychology, behaviorism, third force. Let's take a quick look. Freud, psychology. You know what he taught? And I'm summarizing, obviously. Guilt doesn't exist. But is the conflict between the id, man's drives, and his superego, which is society's teachings, and, you ought to underline this in your notes, and restraints. Guilt isn't real, but there's conflict. Man, man's drives, which are good, he needs to express himself. And the only reason he has any conscience about it is because of those old fuddy-duddy parents. That church that I was raised in. You know, if we didn't have any of that, I'd be just fine. The individual should obey his or her desires and blame others for any internal noise. People are not responsible for their actions. That's psychology. Or how about behaviorism? Skinner. Guilt isn't important. Yeah, it's real, but it's not important. And is the result of failures in the environment. Restructure the environment, change the standard, and help a person feel comfortable with themselves. How about third force? Rogers. And of course, these are older terms. They have gone to other terms, and, and it's, it's couched in, in different ways today. But this is where it started. Rogers, third force, guilt isn't important, and man is basically good. The environment hinders him from reaching his full potential. So help him feel good and be comfortable with himself. had one Bible teacher that called Freud, Skinner, and Rogers the three stooges. <laughs> I agree with him. But these strategies that diminish guilt. So Satan is an enemy. This, these strategies are an enemy. But let her see do you know that you can be your own worst enemy by searing your conscience? That's another enemy. You can just offend and offend and offend the conscience to the place stops working. Or 
Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you know that your conscience can be seared in some areas where you should be alarmed, you should exercise caution, and, and you, you can be worked up about things. You can have a conscience about things that really don't matter or don't matter to the point of what should matter. So you have people that have a conscience, all right, about fishing, those poor fish. And yet, don't kill the whales, but it's okay to kill an unborn baby. And by the way, they really believe that. Okay? Now, we need to be good stewards of God's earth. But you, you understand. Do you know who... Some of the most generous givers to charities are, and I know this from a term paper I did back in high school, okay? Do you know who some of the most generous givers to charities are? It's the mafia. Okay. So, yeah, conscious, and, and, and so if we do this, it's going to ease the conscience. It'll make, make things better but a seared conscience. Now let's look at the scripture and see what it says. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. We're going to move around in these texts. I want you to see them. 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. Let me go back to verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Who are the some who depart from the faith? It's believers. People who at one time profess to know Christ, they depart because, not because they just saw something on the internet, no, they were led to that something on the internet, or they were led to a voice by a seducing demon. That's why the scripture says, try the spirits to see whether they're of God or not. This is spiritual warfare. And, and you can deny what Scripture obviously teaches on some things and try to quiet your conscience. But you know what? You may be battling spiritual wickedness in high places. So we need to be aware of seducing spirit doctrines of devils which speak lies in hypocrisy. And here's the result. Having their conscience seared. The teachers have their conscience seared with a hot iron. They can cause you to have the same kind of conscience. Look over at Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. Titus 1 and verse Under the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is what? It's defiled. If you go to Romans 1.21, the scripture tells us there, really Romans 1 is, is the whole description of this spiral downward. 
And in verse 21 it says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was, and what's the last word? Darkened. It's not responding to light because of the darkness. Again, the conscience has been affected. Now, if you would read on in Romans chapter 1, here's what happens. You deny the conscience. You don't listen to that voice. Here's what God says. You want darkness? God's going to give you more darkness. And the scripture will go on to say, God gave them over. God turned them over. God gave them over. And when you read about the sins in Romans 1 that now are popping up, it gets darker and darker until when you get to the end of the chapter, they don't have a conscience. And knowing the judgment of God that they that do these things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure. And them that do them. Look at Jim Berg's quote here. Don't ignore the moment after effect when you sin. Probably the, the most glaring moment after effect was take a bite of, the, of fruit off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? Well, they tried to sew together aprons, but they ran for their lives. That's when they didn't know any sin. That is the kind of alarm that should be in your life and mine. Don't ignore the moment after effect. The longer you wait, the more the mental justification and diversions mask the noise of conscience and your soul is unprotected. So those are the enemies. But look at Roman numeral 2. Emptying guilt from the conscience. Tonight we want to encourage you with some liberating truth. You don't have to have that noise. You don't have to have that fear. You don't have to wonder what the future is going to hold if you stay the course you're on because you've convinced yourself something that's opposite of what you know down deep is true. You don't have to go there. So how do we empty the guilt from the conscience? All right. So if, while we're in here tonight, the alarm goes off. Realize again, the problem probably is not the alarm. Well, let's find an electrician, go to the alarm, just rip it out of the wall, okay? We'd have a problem if we left the building and the fire department showed up, Josh Haynes, Randy Boone, and they walk in with their hatchets and they come walking out holding the alarm system. Uh, question, where's the problem? Where's the fire? Oh, we took care of it. Here's your alarm system. No, that's the way the world wants to think got to find the fire, find the problem. And so in order to do that, here are some things that will be a wonderful help to you emptying guilt. Letter A, reject the lies that lead to sin. Reject the lies that lead to sin. Number one, reject the lie that we can disobey God without 
consequence. Has your flesh ever tried to convince you of that? From the earliest days, earliest days, my mom used to bake those chocolate chip cookies. And they didn't go right into the cookie jar. It'd be just a gooey mess in there. So what would she do? She'd lay out uh, paper on the counter and she'd put those hot, moist cookies on top of that. And then she'd leave the room. I didn't understand at the time that moms are just busy. I thought, okay, she's setting me up. <laughs> but it didn't matter. I smell cookies. She's not in the kitchen. This time, it's going to work. I never could figure out how to eat a cookie without getting chocolate all over here, you know, and somehow she just knew. All right. Reject the lie that you can disobey God without consequence. What does Galatians 6, 7, and 8 tell us? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. You will never make God look foolish. Ever. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that sows to this flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, you're not earning eternal life. But when you sow to the Spirit, you get to reap what your eternal life really is. You can begin enjoying that right now. You don't even have to wait. You can enjoy it now. But so to the Spirit. So to the Spirit. Proverbs 28, let's go over there. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. You want to avoid noise in your soul? Don't believe the lies that your flesh is trying to tell you. Just don't. Now, let's think of some examples. Adam and Eve thought they were going to be smarter than God. How'd that work out? There was guilt. How about Achan? Remember Achan? They, the children of Israel have entered the promised land. That first city, when you take Jericho, all the treasure of that city, God says, is mine. There's your tithe. That's the tithe city. It's mine. Achan got in there, and against his conscience, he took of some of the goods, some of the treasure of Jericho. Say, how do you know, Pastor, he had a conscience about it? Because he took it home, and what did he do with it? He buried it. Nobody's going to find it. Ah, conscience is okay. No, no, no. You don't go against what God has said and have that work for you. Achan found treasure, 
And from the time that he found the treasure and buried it until Joshua finally stood in front of him and said, Why have you done this? Most miserable time in Achan's life. Why? Because the noise had to be deafening. How about Joseph's brothers? Sold their brother into slavery? Made a little extra money? Never hear from him again? Just make up a story, tell, tell dad that wild animals got him. How did that work out? If you're reading through your Bible this year again, and I'm about to finish Genesis, and again, what a wonderful story. But there you have proof God can send a famine, God can send you to where there's only food, and guess what? The guy who's, who's overseeing the distribution of the food, it just may be that brother you sold into slavery. It just may, that, may be that God took him while he was a slave and made him the prime minister of the country you've got to go to to find bread. And we can deny the conscience and say, you know, I'm going to outsmart God. No, you're not. And your Bible is... Full of examples of... No, better listen to conscience. Better listen to God. So reject the lies that will call uh, or that we can disobey God without consequence. Also reject the lies that we can prosper without repentance. James chapter 4. And look at verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. When you fail the Lord, just be honest about that. Be humble about that. We're going to talk about confession so you can have forgiveness in, in just a little bit. But reject the lie that you can pro prosper without repentance. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 5, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the, the proud, but giveth grace, that's grace enablement, to the humble. All right? God resists the proud. But I don't have to listen to conscience. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to outsmart everybody. I'm going to hide this. I'm going to be fine. I'm, 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 I'm. No, you're not. But what God says is if in the pride of your heart you go against what you know is right, with that God, resist that. Do you know what that literally means? It means that God lays siege to that. I'm going to outsmart God. Well, you're going to wake up and find that he has surrounded your city. You're under siege. The only way to lift the siege is what? Humility and confessing to the Lord, okay, I believed a lie. And I can't prosper until I yield back to you. Isn't it wonderful? God grants forgiveness and grace to the humble. He honors a contrite heart. We saw that in Psalm 51. 
this morning. So reject the lies that lead to sin. Letter B, admit the truth that frees from guilt. What's the truth? Well, that we are guilty of unbelief for rejecting God and His truth. Whenever I choose to go against what God has said, in my pride, my arrogance, my rebellion, I have to begin by saying, Lord, I'm guilty of unbelief. I was not willing to take you at your word. It's not willing to, to believe your truth. Isaiah 55, notice verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will, what's the next two words? Abundantly part. Well, if I go back to God, he's going to put me on a trial period. He's just going to watch me and look for a time to kick me if I mess up. No, no, no. He wants to, it, it thrills his heart, his desires to abundantly pardon. The whole idea, again, is willingly, completely release. That is our God. Jeremiah, just go over to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. What do we use water for? To refresh, to revive. What Israel was guilty of is that they had forsaken the cool clean spring, the refreshment of God. But instead, they had gone to the philosophies of the world. They had gone to the opinions of men. They had listened to their own flesh. And they went there for satisfaction. But the cisterns are broken. There's nothing there to help. So admit the truth. We're guilty of unbelief for rejecting God and His truth. And then, admit the truth that we need a blood sacrifice for cleansing. We need a blood sacrifice for cleansing. Now this is the reality, everyone. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of what? Of sin. Do you know that applies when the noisemaker goes off in your heart and when there is guilt there, do you know what you need? You need to turn to the only sacrifice that can wash away sin, Jesus Christ. It's not reform. It's not trying to patch things up. No, you need full cleansing and only the blood of Jesus Christ 
can do that. Would you, for sake of time, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And that's just an old word that means there's no forgiveness. 1 John 1, 7. We know 1 John 1, 9. We've already looked at that tonight. But take a look at 1 John 1. And verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You say, I thought my sin was already cleansed by the blood of Christ. What's so wonderful about this passage is that this is saying the efficacy of his blood continues to cleanse you. So positionally, you've been declared righteous. Your sin is under the blood. It's been washed away. But it continues to have the effect of washing sin away, of cleansing when we fail the Lord. And so before we go to someone here on earth to get something right, we must go to God for blood cleansing. We have to do that. So reject the lies, admit the truth, and then apply the gospel for salvation and continued cleansing. Apply the gospel. Apply the gospel which teaches us that Christ died for sinners. Romans 5.8, but God showed his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for sinners. Here's the great news. A blood sacrifice has been made that the Father accepts on your behalf. You don't need anything else if you'll turn to Christ. I don't need anything else. Christ died for sinners. Apply the gospel that God delights to forgive sinners who Repent. He delights to do that. And so, again, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. You say, well, I'm frustrated. I don't think he can forgive me because I keep having to confess the same thing. What is faithful in 1 John 1, 9 for? He's faithful. In fact, you know, he is so great. Now, this requires a sincere heart. And by the way, you don't need to keep repeating sin. You understand sanctification. But remember when Peter asked the Lord, how many times should I forgive? Jesus said, not seven, but 70 times seven. Unlimited amount. Do you know why the Lord said that? Because that's what he does. He'll keep on forgiving. And by the way, he's just. Why? Because what you just did has been paid for if you've put your trust in Christ. And he said he would forgive. From how much unrighteousness? All of it. Well, man, I really messed up. I really blew it. Uh, I'm overwhelmed with guilt. I, I, don't, I don't see how. No, 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 no. All unrighteousness. I love 1 John chapter 2. My little children, 
okay? That, that touches my heart because I mess up like a little child. Do you know why I mess up like a little child? I is one. So are you. My little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. You don't have to sin. But in the very next breath, here's what the Holy Spirit gives us. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. I know your frame. I know your dust. I know you're going to mess up. You're going to sin. You're going to believe lies. You're going to be guilty of unbelief. You're going to question what a perfect, gracious, loving God has for you. And you're going to sometimes believe some really foolish things. Just come back to me. Just confess it to me. I'll forgive of all unrighteousness. And by the way, you have an advocate sitting right next to the supreme judge of heaven is your advocate, Jesus Christ, who's paid for your sin and mine. So apply the gospel. That Christ died for sinners, but then that God delights to forgive sinners who repent. The gospel saved us from sin and hell. Now it saves us from guilt that we might have ongoing fellowship with the Father. All right, here's how we empty guilt. Letter D, walk in the light of your forgiveness and reject the lies of false guilt. Walk in the light of your forgiveness. Here are some of the lies that your flesh wants to believe. First, I don't feel forgiven. I'm not going to have you raise your hand because anybody here who's a Christian, you've experienced this. I don't feel forgiven. Now let me tell you something insidious about your flesh. Your flesh is going to convince you to go against God, and then when you do and you feel guilty, it'll kick you while you're down. So why do you and I obey the flesh? It's that same old crazy cycle, noisy cycle. Don't listen to your flesh. And by the way, the flesh will try to say, you, say to you, you're not forgiven. And that's when you have to go back to the truths that we've looked at, reject the lies, admit the truth, apply the gospel, and walk in that light. It is the fact of God's complete forgiveness that matters along with the ongoing cleansing of the blood for present sanctification. You are forgiven. Believe it. Now, I'm going to take a little time with this illustration, and I know our time is up. This illustration is not original with me, but I, I, I think it's powerful. Imagine if you, and I'm speaking to you young men here, you young ladies too, but can you imagine being in Egypt at the time of the first Passover? So Pharaoh has been stubborn, and God is about to, to give his final judgment to the land of Egypt. 
And so God comes to the elders in Israel, and, and the word has, has been passed on to every family. Take a lamb, kill the lamb, take the blood, put it on the top of the door, on the sides of the door. And by the way, if you connect all that, what is it? It's a cross. It's a cross. All right? And then you all get dressed, get ready to leave as if you're going to sojourn. All right? After you've applied the blood, have a, have a meal together. And imagine you're a young man and, and you're hearing all this and you're watching your dad do all this, but you're the fearful type. Did we put the blood in the right place? Are we doing this just like we should do it? Maybe some false guilt starts to spring up and you're, you're really worried. Is, is this going to work? Is it going to work? Oh, no. And then midway through the evening, you start hearing your Egyptian neighbors start to cry out. And they're running through the streets. They're, they're crying out because they're starting to go into rooms and they're, the firstborn is dead because they didn't apply blood. And so as a young person in your home, you're all worked up and you, you're thinking, is, is this, are we going to be delivered or not? And, and as you're looking out, your best friend across the street comes over and he's got a smile on his face. And he says to you, isn't it great? We're, we're saved. We've obeyed the Lord. Blood has been applied. We're saved. Isn't in this great? And, and you're panic stricken. What if? What if? So let me ask you a question. The young man whose heart was settled because he chose to just believe what God said, watching his parents, or the young man across the street that's all worked up because just maybe he's not going to be forgiven. Something awful is going to happen. Let me ask you this question. Between the two boys, which one was the safer? Somebody said it. They're both safe. In obedience to the Lord, the... There's not going to be death come to those homes. They're both safe. It's just that one chose to believe the truth that they had already followed and one wasn't sure. And I like the illustration because that's like many Christians. Some Christians live free from guilt. They just rejoice. They know they haven't had perfect lives. And frankly, they don't want to look back on their past. Forgetting those things which are behind. By the way, that'll help you with guilt too. But then there are some that just live that, oh, you know, woe is me. And, 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 and Satan is able to use the guilt stick to beat him up when there's not anything to be guilty of. Sometimes our attitudes, by the way, about how God forgives us affects our ability to forgive others. Sometimes we don't. Well, I've wronged God, and I just can't believe he'd forgive me. And then somebody wrongs you, and watch out. The way you view forgiveness is going to make a big deal in many, 
in, in your perspective in many other parts of life. All right, so walk in light. I don't feel forgiven. Here's another lie. I don't see how God can forgive what I've done. It is a fact that Jesus' infinite blood sacrifice cleanses from all unrighteousness. You know what I love about my Bible? God uses extreme examples of failure to show me forgiveness. Jesus didn't die on the only cross on that hill that day. There was a malefactor on the left-hand side who was hanging there because he had stolen and, and had murdered in doing it. And he admitted his guilt, said, Lord, remember me, and Jesus made a promise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Do you know what that says? Forgiven. How about David? Got pretty ugly there, didn't it? But what did David write? Blessed is the man to whom God does not impute iniquity and whose sins are covered. 1 John 1, 9, he's promised to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's close. The loudest noisemaker in the heart is a guilty conscience. Your soul is not supposed to be at rest when it is at war with God. If you have gone against the Lord, your house is on fire. And the Lord's going to do something about it because when passion has a baby, it leads to sin. And when sin has a baby, it leads to death. God doesn't want to see that. All right? So, Instead of declaring war on God, you need to answer the alarm and go to the Lord humbly, make things right with Him first, and then make things right with others. Consider Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. It's the last passage we'll look at tonight. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. A quiet heart begins with confession and cleansing so that we can have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. If you're saved, you have eternal life. You are indwelt by the King of Peace. And He has made it possible for you to have complete, unending fellowship with the Father. He wants that, and He wants that for you. And when something threatens that, and you hear the alarm, it's not because God's ready to kick you again. You know what he's doing? He's trying to get you to come back to him. So, living with guilt tonight, you don't have to. You don't have to do the mental gymnastics of trying to convince yourself you're okay. You just need to humbly turn to God. If you're not saved, you cannot escape guilt. 
need to come to the Lord, admit your lost condition, and receive Jesus Christ. I don't know how many Christians I've heard say, I'll never forget the day I got saved because, and you've heard it, the 90-pound load was lifted. What was that? Just a lot of noise. So that's where you need to start. But Christian, if you've got the noise of guilt in your heart tonight, grip God, all this truth that we've looked at, just hold on to God, take him at his word. If you need to confess sin, you need to do it. Against him, against someone else, just confess it. And watch the guilt go away. That's what God has for us. May we yield to him and know the joy of peace in our hearts. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.